Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 3. Would you read along, uh, as, just follow me as, we, as I read uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And Jesus answered, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, I said to you, it must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you heard its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Verse 21, But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. John begins chapter 3, and he introduces us to a man named Nicodemus, who in verse 1 is called both a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Now, as many of you know, the nation of Israel at the time of Christ, was under Roman occupation. And under Roman occupation, the Jews could no longer um, carry out um, capital punishment. They couldn't kill people for the crimes they did, although you see that they did. It was really important that high political figures uh, go through Rome. Basically, Rome took away the scepter of power within Israel to where they were no longer able to ultimately enforce the life and death penalty in a nation. And that is what makes a government a government. The ability to take your life if you do not obey their laws. I know that doesn't sound, but ultimately that's what it, that's law, that's the ultimate law enforcement. And if a nation cannot enforce its laws, then it is really subject to whatever rule allows it to do that. So the Romans said, no, you're not doing that. We are. However, we give you within your current system, because they didn't want to go in and govern every, micromanage everything, they let them have certain aspects of their society. 
They go and they conquer nations. They let them continue to worship their gods if it was beneficial to Rome. And so basically the Jews were able to continue to worship in Jerusalem. They had a temple. They had priests. They had all these type of religious system. It wasn't, there wasn't a separation of church and state. You had kings of the Jews like Herod and his whole family, the patriarchs. And they would be like the political uh, aspect of it. But then you also had the religious aspect, the religious rulers. Because remember, the Jews were under what law? The law of Moses. The religious law was the law of their land according to them. And yes, they had the Roman government, which they resented. But they all were subject to uh, the law of Moses. And so the law of Moses had basically lawyers. They had lawyers there. They had people who taught the law, people who enforced the law. They had people who uh, ministered in the temple doing the sacrifices. It would be the priests. And so you had all those groups of people together under the religious system of leadership, rulers in Israel. Now, those groups, the, the power structure, was, were divided, was, was all kind of, it all went up to this one group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the Supreme Court of Israel, and there were 70 men. Sanhedrin somehow means 70, the 70. It's the 70 men of Israel, and these were highly educated, highly oftentimes political <laughs> um, rulers of Israel. So they would know the law of Moses, they would know all these types of things in and out, and they, were, they would gather together and they would be the ultimate say basically on anything, anything religious within the nation of Israel. Those groups were divided into two major groups. So the Sanhedrin was divided into two political groups, the Republicans and the Democrats. <laughs> no, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And it's interesting, this, they had diff- the, re- they had, the reason why, and this is kind of similar to our thing, the reason why they were different is because of how they interpreted the Old Testament. We're talking about biblical interpretation this week in, in how to study your Bible. Like, what does it say? And that really determines a lot of how, what you do and how you act. Well, the Sadducees, they had a strict interpretation of the Old Testament. Now you're going, wait a second, I thought these were the liberals. They are in some other ways. But they had a strict interpretation of the Old Testament. In other words, they rejected oral law. But they also rejected anything supernatural. They didn't believe in a spiritual realm with angels and demons and and all that kind of stuff. And so that was that kind of group. The other group were the Pharisees, who would not only interpret it, but they would go beyond what the texts say. They would just go way super critically deep, and they were the legalists of the, of the time. They would go to oral traditions, and this is why Jesus said, you have heard it said, don't do this, but I tell you, this is what it really means. He would have to unscramble all that. So you had these two political groups, they were put together in the Sanhedrin, the ultimate power, the rulers of Israel, and Nicodemus is one of those guys, and he's a Pharisee. He's smart, he's extremely wealthy, we find out later on he's the one with Joseph, with Arimathea, that, um, that, that took a hundred pounds of, of spices and, and used it to bury uh, Jesus. I mean, a hundred pounds of anything is a lot of money, even no matter what it is, really. <laughs> and, and so a hundred pounds of spices, was ex- it was extremely expensive. We know he's, he's wealthy, he's smart, he's well-connected, and he's a teacher in Israel. This guy was top-notch. Pretty interesting stuff there. And it says... In verse 2, what? 
that he came to Jesus by night. And this is why we say Nick at night. And we suppose this is because he was highly influential, right? We suppose he's highly influential. And, and this is highly influential leader meeting a very highly controversial leader. He doesn't want to do it in the public eye. And perhaps he's not wanting to let the other council members know what he's doing. He's intrigued, which I tend to believe, because I believe this guy becomes a believer later. But what's going on is he is secretly meeting Jesus at night. So he came to Jesus at night, and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, which is a respectful term, meaning teacher, master, you know, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. If you remember in the Gospels, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these political leaders in Jerusalem, Jesus was ministering in other places. They would send delegates. They would send people to go spy on Jesus and ask him questions and all this type of stuff. They would see and hear what he was doing and teaching and bring it back to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would, you know, basically seek to, they'd grumble and they'd try to undermine Jesus, eventually trying to kill him. But basically what happened is it was all secondhand And now Jesus had just been in the temple. He cleanses the temple. He turns over the tables. And we know at the end of of chapter 2 that he's doing signs and wonders. And many people are believing in his name. And so they're seeing it firsthand. The political leaders, Jesus is in Washington, D.C. and doing it right there in the halls of Congress, basically is what's going on. And so there were serious discussions going on about who this guy was and what does that mean to our power. And there's questions that were being asked, like, is this Elijah? Is this uh, maybe John the Baptist raised from the dead, which was a question that was later. They're just asking, who is this guy that just jumped in the middle of the scene and is turning our world upside down? And so Nicodemus says, we know. Listen, there's discussions going along among the leadership. We know that you're not normal. You're not like us. You're from God. Because you're, no one can do these things unless God is with them. And so there's a genuine stir of interest. And, and it's interesting. Nicodemus says that. We know that you're from God. And Jesus takes Nicodemus' statement that Jesus was from God and he gives him the message that God actually came. That the reason why Jesus came to, to give this message to him. He turns it on him and says, this is the message that comes from God to you. And Jesus answered him in verse three and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus just bypasses all the talk of signs and wonders and all this stuff and he gets straight to the heart. You know, when you're sharing the Lord with someone, Sometimes you've got to give them a little background, a little history, because they don't understand where you're coming from. You build a bridge, you share certain things. This guy was a teacher in Israel. He knew the Bible in and out. He just went straight for the message. Sometimes you've got to do that. And really, Jesus says, starts and he says, truly, truly. That means you better be paying attention, because what I'm about to say is of great importance. John uses this several times. It's pretty much strictly given in John here. And Jesus says, This is the most important statement. You need to hear this. Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Jesus says that you must be born again to see the kingdom. Okay? Are you born again? Because according to Jesus Christ, unless you are born again this morning, you will not see the kingdom of God. Guaranteed 100% truth right there. You must be born again. He's not giving like a, maybe. You must be born again. And by the way, who is Jesus speaking to? Someone who knows the Bible. Someone who knows religion. Someone who knows who's been to church a few times, so to speak. Like us, perhaps. He says you must be born again. According to the Son of God, it's a non-negotiable. You must be born again. Now, what does Jesus mean by kingdom of God? That's a pretty... You can't see the kingdom of God. Well, in a general sense, everything that is made, on seen and unseen, heaven and earth, all time, is in the kingdom of God. Because God is sovereign. He rules over everything. And so we're, Jesus isn't talking about being in the kingdom of God in a general sense. We're all under his ultimate sovereign control, ultimate. But what is Jesus speaking about? Well, Jesus was sent to preach the good news about the kingdom of God, Luke 4, 43 says. And so what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God in its broadest sense is that rule and reign over everything. But Jesus is speaking about the aspect where God will ultimately dwell with his people face to face. God will ultimately dwell with his people face to face. This is where you are headed. You are either headed to an eternity with God or apart from God. Every single one of you have been created by God and you will give an account to God, including this guy. And you are either of the kingdom or are you not of the kingdom? You can be a part of his general kingdom, but you are, are you a part of the people who are, who have, who are going to get in? And that's, that's the important thing. You need to hear this this morning. This is what Jesus came, and he came to proclaim the good news to the kingdom that you can get in. That's the good news. It's not closed. Jesus says to Nicodemus, this is how you do it. You've got to be born again. And you will dwell in the presence of the eternal God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, as opposed to apart from the creator of the heaven and the earth in a place designated for those who have rejected the Son of God called hell for eternity. You must be born again. And this is why it is so important to we hear what he's saying. What does it mean, the term you must be born again? How many of you guys have heard the term you must be born again? I've heard someone say, you know, um, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but I'm not, I'm not a born-again Christian. Listen, there is no other type. <laughs> you're either born again or you're not. You're not a Christian if you're not born again. And I understand what they mean by that in, as far as a flavor of Christianity. But what does born again mean? What does that term mean? If you think about it, the term born again, it's a strange term. And the word again is actually, in the Greek, it can be above or again. And it's purposefully am ambiguous there. 
It means Jesus saying, you must be born from above. You must be born again. And so Jesus is really saying, in order to see the kingdom from above, you must be born from above. You must be a citizen of the above in order to see the things of the above. And as Nicodemus is hearing this, that in order to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born from it or born from above, he's totally baffled. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus is obviously old. He's going, what are you talking about? Can he enter in a second time to his mother's womb and be born? And he's just thinking, how do people get born again? No clue that Jesus is speaking about spiritual things. Totally on the physical level. He's just thinking with what he is, the frame of reference that he has. How can I be born again into a kingdom? It's impossible. Yes, that's true. Nicodemus doesn't understand. He has no point of reference in all of his religiosity, in all his training, in all his classes, with all his education and wisdom and money and wealth. He has no ability to do this. He has no understanding of it. He has, he's got nothing. He only, the only reference he has is what he knows and sees around him. Natural childbirth. That's impossible, he thinks. And Jesus, being kind to Nicodemus, he gives him a hint in verse five. Jesus answered, truly, truly, again, better listen, I say to you that unless one is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Thank you for making it more confusing. Now it's the water and the spirit. More, okay, so now I've got water. And his mind is just going, what is this born of water in the spirit? And a lot of people have said, well, this is natural childbirth. You've got to actually be physically born. I think I've even said that. But that's not what's going on. He's talking to a teacher in Israel. He's saying things that would register in his, in, in his Rolodex of, if, who knows what a Rolodex is these days. But anyways, it's this thing where he had a lot of information. It was really awesome. You could never find it. Um, <laughs> But you're spending, you're spending time Googling it now. What is this Rolodex? <laughs> it was a hard copy system of never. Okay. But he would, remember, he would remember these verses because he was intimately connected with the spiritual life of Israel and all the actual physical things they did in their worship. And so Jesus answers and says to you, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus brings them back to Numbers 19. That's what he's doing. He's giving a reference to Numbers 19. And it speaks of how Israel were, the Israelites were to be cleansed with water as a purification from sin. Listen, if you're in a relationship, how many of you are in a relationship? Husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, all that kind of stuff. Yep. When you have a breaking in your relationship, what do you need to do to restore that? You need to be cleansed. Right? Your sins need to be atoned for. There needs to be forgiveness. Otherwise, there's no, there's no relationship, correct? Well, there is a relationship, but it's not fun. Broken, strained, correct? There needs to be a cleansing that goes on. Well, there's, there's been a brokenness between humanity and God, and that's the picture that he's saying here. And so the people of Jews, the Jews, the Hebrews, they had to atone for their sins 
They had to be cleansed, otherwise they were unclean and they could not enter into worship. They couldn't enter into the society because it was built around the worship of God with the temple at the middle, with God in the middle of it. You couldn't come into those places. Remember I was describing the temple a couple weeks ago, how there was the outside of the Gentiles, then there was the court of the women, and then it got closer and closer. You got the Israelites, then the priest, and the Holy of Holies. All that stuff was cultural symbols of uncleanness. I know this is really great for this year and day we're living in. It was cultural symbols of the time of uncleanness. But here's what happened. All those people were guilty before God. All of them were guilty before God. Man, woman, child, and all those sacrifices and all those things were pictures and types looking forward to how God would actually really cleanse humanity. And then you get to the New Testament, you find out there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no man or woman. The playing field, the gates have been leveled in Christ. We're one. So it's an amazing thing. I don't, I don't want to go there quite yet. But they were unclean. They were, un, they were separated from God. They could not enter into a church and worship God without going through ceremonial cleansing. And in in Leviticus or Numbers number nine, chapter 19 speaks of how the sacrifice would be made and then they would take, they would be cleansed from their sin by washing of the water. And so all this stuff is a picture of how God would clean our, would atone for our sins and clean us up so we could enter into fellowship with God. Does that make sense? And he's talking to Nicodemus going, remember the Bible? Remember Numbers 19? Remember all the stuff you're doing day after day with everybody and you're getting them to do? This is what it's about. You're so focused on the day-to-day actions, you aren't looking at what it really means. And this is what Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus about. The world is unclean. It cannot enter the kingdom of God. We cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's bad news because we're separated because of our sin. That's the way it is. A bath isn't going to do it. A ceremony is not going to do it. Being baptized is not going to do it. Going to church enough is not going to do it. Giving all your money is not going to do it. All your good works and how you help people and all that stuff, it's not going to do it. It's not enough. That's the bad news. You must be born again. You must be made new. Not physically. That's not what he's talking about. You need to be new inside. You need to be cleansed. And that's not from an inside source. That is from an outside source. Like birth, you had no choice in in how to do that. It's something that God does on your behalf. He gives birth to you spiritually. You must be cleansed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So many places in the Old Testament we can find the imagery of the Spirit being poured out like water. Isaiah talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out like water in a desert and other places as well. In this, it was always dry land, parched places, places that had death associated with it, barrenness. 
And when the water was poured out in the desert, what happened to the desert? It came alive. All those little idioms and pictures we're looking forward were pictures of actually what God desires to do to a people, to a person. We're dead inside, and the Holy Spirit needs to be poured out upon us, not by our own means, but by God's grace. He does it upon us, and then we are regenerated. Life flows forward. God himself gives us his life. Jesus said, you must be born again to see and to enter in the kingdom of of heaven. Verse six, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Guess what we are all born of? Flesh. Guess what we were all not born of? Spirit. We've got a problem. Because every fleshly person is not entering the kingdom of heaven. Because by nature, we're children of wrath. And I've said it before, I did not have to teach John and Ruth how to do evil. They understood it naturally. By watching me, <coughs> not Christine, <laughs> but <laughs> generally not. By me, right? And they just were natural little sinners. What do I have to teach them to do? Deny themselves. Love others. Share. What's the first word we learn? Mine. Right? Me. What happens when someone takes your thing? You freak out and you hit stuff. That's our nature. And unless God does something, we grow up to be those people just a little bit more sophisticated. But this is what we're fighting with every day, isn't it? In our own hearts, in our own souls. Me, mine, what I want, my kingdom. Jesus says, you're broken. You need a new nature. You don't need it, you know, to get your best life now. You need to lose your life. You need to die. And you need to rise again. And that's what Jesus came to do. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is born of spirit. Only people who have been regenerated by God can see and enter into the kingdom of God. One of the most beautiful psalms, Psalm 24, I'll just read three, verses three and four of it. He says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place, in his holy mountain? Who has, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not speak deceitfully, does not swear deceitfully, that's who's going to see God. The problem is, I'm not that guy. Anyone else? Be real. We're, we, go, we might go, ah, well, you know, I, I, you know, I've got clean hands and a pure heart, and I don't worship idols. Do you speak what is false? What about the other things, you know? You might go, hey, well, you know, I, I tell the truth, but gosh, man, I don't have clean hands and a pure heart. I, you know, I'm just saying, we're all sunk, the problem is, those are the people that are going to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was going, I can get there. I can do it. I can do all these good things enough, and at the end, I can, I'll, I'll be accepted. Nope. Not going to make it. Those people will ascend. And Jesus, what, what David is describing there is people have been born again. People have been regenerated. People have been changed in their very core. And perhaps you're sitting there right now and you're going, man, I, am, man, I don't like what this guy's talking about because he's just, just condemning me. 
I'm not condemning you. I'm saying that we're all, we're all in trouble, but there's a solution. And this is why Jesus came, because he knew we were all in trouble. And this is what he's getting at. You're either born of the man or you're born of God. Human nature begets human nature, but God's nature begets God's nature. And at this point, Nicodemus is marveling at Jesus. We know this because of verse 7. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. He's just sitting there going, what are you? What? And then Jesus makes it even more clear. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sounds, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. For the natural man, those are foolish words. But Jesus is speaking about the things of the kingdom in ways that we of the flesh world can understand. Does that make sense? He's using things from our world to explain what his kingdom's about. He's saying it's like the wind. Being born again, it's like the wind. When a person's born again, we see the effects of what God did. It's like the wind. We don't know where it came from or where it's going, but we know the effects. We feel it. We see it in the trees. We hear it whistle. Same with when a person is born again. It's not a formula. It's not all those things. God comes upon a person and he regenerates them from the outside in. And guess what you see? A changed person. They're changed. Their character becomes more like Christ. They're, they're brokenhearted over their sin. There's a poorness in spirit. There's, there's a change that happens. It's just a sovereign work of God. Have you, any of you seen that happen in a life? Have you even experienced what has happened to you? God gets a hold of a person, and they're born again. They're changed. Their nature shifts. They have their personality and all those things, but the core of who they are, their allegiances change. Their love changes their affections change. What they do with their time, their talent, their treasures, it changes. They're preoccupied with a love for God. John, could you roll off the mids on this? I'm sorry. And Jesus says it's the same with everybody who's been born again. It comes from the outside in. And you see the effects of it. Flesh cannot give birth to, to the spirit. The flesh gives birth to flesh, to the physical and the natural man, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And Nicodemus says in verse 9, how can these things be? Do you notice Nicodemus is just asking a lot of questions and doesn't understand anything? This concept is so foreign to Nicodemus. Now here's the thing. He's the religious teacher in Israel. And Jesus points that out to him. Verse 10, look at it. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Jesus doesn't hold anything back, does he? He lets him know where he truly is. Listen, you're supposed to be the guy, but apparently you don't know anything. And by the way, the is an indefinite article. It means like you are the teacher. You are one of the guys. You're at the, the top of the chain. You should know this stuff. You should know about how God, throughout the Old Testament, cleanses people and changes them and regenerates them so that they can enter into a right relationship. You should know this by reading your Old Testament. 
This is foundational stuff, Nicodemus. This is why that Jesus, in Matthew 5, 14, calls the religious leaders of Israel blind guides, leading the blind, and they're both going to fall into a pit. And let me say that that convicts me. There are things that I need to, to know as a, as a pastor and as a teacher, things that God's teaching me, and it's weird. You get there after a long time of teaching, you go, I should have known that. What, why, what's going on here? And I'm sure that will happen again as Jesus says, you should have known this, man. That's why he says, don't let many be teachers because you're going to have the more stricter judgment. And there are churches filled with men and women now who are leading in a blind way blind people into a pit. So why do you think Jesus got more mad at the Pharisees than he did the regular people? So what they were teaching, what they were, what they were, where they were leading them in. Is there a plea from the pulpit that says you must repent, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must be born again? Or are you hearing about what you want to hear? I'm telling you, dangerous stuff. Jesus points this person out. He says, you should know this stuff, Nicodemus. What are you doing? And I don't stand above that. I'm accountable to those things. Pray for me. Amen? The Old Testament was full. I'll just give you one example of, of, of examples of God regenerating, cleansing people, and making them right. This is so important. Are you cleansed this morning? Are you right with God? Have you been born again? It says in verse 22 of Ezekiel chapter 36, this is the prophet Ezekiel, he says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake or the house of Israel that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. This is the only person who could speak like this is God. It's about his name. This is his world, his creation, his universe. He says, you guys... I, I took you out, I sent you places, and now you're just profaning my name everywhere you go. I'm going to act on my name, which you have remained among the nations. And, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take from the nations, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Verse 25 is where I want you to focus in. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will what? I'll cleanse you. And I will give you what? A new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. And I will put and I'll give you a heart of flesh in verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What is this a picture of? This is a picture of being born again. Notice who's doing all the work. And I, who's I? 
God, like the wind, comes upon a people that are profaning his name. And he comes into your life. And by his grace, he convicts you of who you are. And you fall down before him and you cry out mercy. And he regenerates you. He pours water on the death and you come to life. He gives you a new nature. Salvation is a work that God does in spite of us. Flesh can't do these things. Regeneration is a work of God. It always has been. God saves us by the, by the means of cleansing us from our sin and giving us his spirit. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, had been caught in the trap of legalism that somehow he could go to church enough to do this. Or moral behavior and good works and all those t- types of things. And believe me, I'm not against moral behavior and good works. I'm all for it. Absolutely. More of it but not as a mean to save yourself. It's the fruit, actually, of being saved. Difference between religion and being born again. A person must be born again. Our data is corrupt. We don't need to add more software. We need a total wipe. We need a new hard drive with the right software. Person must be born again. Verse 11, quickly, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. The word you is plural there. He's saying y'all. That's what it is in Hebrew, y'all, right, or Greek. Y'all don't receive our testimony. Right, Arthur? <laughs> that's funny, yeah. <laughs> but Jesus says y'all rejected our testimony, our most likely being Jesus, the prophets, John the Baptist, you, you rejected everything that you're supposed to accept. We are from the kingdom. We're sharing things that we know you reject. Verse 12, if I've told you earthly things you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Listen, I'm talking to you about water. I'm talking about cleansing. I'm talking to you about the wind. If you don't understand what I'm talking about here, what makes you think I'm, I'm gonna understand, you're gonna understand what is truly going on? I remember I was sharing Jesus when I was a little kid with my friend named Brian. We were playing in the dirt. And um, I said, you know what? You got to ask Jesus into your heart. That's the terminology I used at the time, right? You, you, need, a, you need a new heart, Brian. Seven-year-old's talking. And he's like, well, I, I got one. The doctor came over, and uh, we had an operation. I mean, just lies. You know, we're just two kids just in the dirt, you know? I'm talking on a different level, and Brian's thinking, hey, yeah, physically this can happen. I need a new heart. He had no idea I was talking about spiritual matters. And that's what it's like with the Lord in us. He comes into our world that is just full of material things, and he tries to explain the kingdom that is totally different, and we're so wrapped up in this world and the way it works that we can't see it sometimes. So Jesus comes using figures of speech. We'll talk about this on Tuesday night. Jesus comes using figures of speech. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. It isn't, but it's like. It's like a man who had a field and sowed some seed, and the seed fell on four types of ground. It's not like that. It isn't, it isn't that field. What it is, is God coming in and spreading his word into the heart, and some receive it and some don't due to different things. And only very few receive it and are saved. That's what he's saying. He'll go into all these different, that's what all the parables are about. He's speaking these idioms so that people might get it. People who have spiritual ears. He says, if you don't understand that, what makes you think you're going to understand the real deal? And this is the point that John is making. Jesus came from God. He is God's son. He's seen the kingdom. He's explaining these things. 
and they reject him. And then Jesus points out that he came from God. In verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except for he who had descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He said, listen, I've been there. I've been there. Jesus came from heaven. That's what John's point is. He's the Son of God. Have any of you been to heaven? The answer is no. Do not believe the YouTube things. No. Hebrews, seven, Hebrews 2, 7 and 9 says that Jesus was made lower than the angels. In chapter 1, verse 18 of John, we already read it. No, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus made him known. Jesus was in the presence of the Father, and he came down. And he uses an illustration of why God was sent. And here we hit the crux of the message. Literally. The Son of Man was sent by God. Jesus says, I was in God's presence from all eternity. And no one's ever seen him except for me. And I was sent by him to tell you this. Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You see, Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again, but he didn't tell him actually how that happens. He told him it's a work of God, it's a work by the Spirit, but sin needed to be atoned for. How does that happen? By sacrificing an animal? No doesn't work. And so Jesus uses this picture out of Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. The Hebrews had been taken out of Egypt and they started to complain against God and against Moses. God had delivered them and then he started speak, they started speaking bad things against God and Moses. And so God sends a, a plague of fiery serpents. That's not fun. And people started to die because they were being bitten by these serpents. And it got so bad. It got so bad that they went to Moses and they said, Moses, please intercede for us. We're tired of dying. Right? And so God said, okay, I will make a way of escape. What, what I want you to do is I want you to go to make a fiery serpent, a bronze serpent. I want you to put it on a pole so that when they look at that pole, Anyone who looks on it will be saved. This really obscure little passage out of Numbers hasn't been commented on by any rabbis in 1,500 years. And Jesus just picks it up and says, that whole thing was about this. That Jesus is using that picture because he is the serpent lifted up on a pole. He was the innocent son of God and he became sin. In other words, he took the sin of man upon himself. And here's the thing, that the people of the world, all of us, as we've been described already, have been bitten by sin, snake, snake bitten, we, every single one of us have been bitten and we're all going down. And here's the thing. 
as the poison sets in, what happens to some is they realize who they are and what's going on, and they look up for mercy. And God, because he is a merciful God, provided a way of escape, but it is a singular way of escape. There is only one way to escape. For God so loved the world, verse 16, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe upon him, whoever would look to him, would not what? Perish, but have what? God is just and God is love. And the justice of God and the love of God met in Jesus Christ. He, God does not let sin slide. God poured out his wrath upon Jesus that guilty, snake-bitten people, that our guilt would be paid for by what he did. He experienced it, right? So how do I get saved? Is there anything I can do? When God comes over your heart and he convicts you of your sin, it's all to point you to Jesus Christ. He died for you. And you look upon him in faith and believe that he died in your place for your sins to satisfy the wrath of God. That's how God atones for your sin. And when you believe by faith, the Holy Spirit regenerates you. He comes and cleanses you from all sin because guess what? The punishment for your sin paid in full on Jesus Christ. But if you don't believe the punishment still stands. How great is that punishment? It's an eternal suffering. When we minimize hell, we minimize the cross. Jesus loved his Father enough, God so loved you enough that he sent his Son to die for you, to die for me. The innocent, righteous, pure, holy Son of God nailed to a cross by sinful men, but make no mistake, it was all in God's sovereign plan. You know, we think that the Jews sent him to cross. Sure they did. The Romans, absolutely. But ultimately, it was God who sent his Son to the cross. Why? Because his plan was to redeem a people from every tri tribe, every tongue, every nation. Sinners as horrid as Moses, sin is, sinners as horrid as Paul, both murderers that he chose to write the New Testament and the Old Testament through, sinners like you and me. God provides a sacrifice, the spotless son, the innocent dying in the place of the, the guilty, the serpent on the pole. The wrath of God was poured out on his son so that you could call to him this morning for mercy. We must be cleansed in order to be cleansed of our sins. Those sins must be paid for, and God did it through Christ. In verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Many people love this verse. I love this verse. Jesus didn't come the first time to condemn the world. He came to save it. Mark 2, 7 says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
This is who we're ministering to. This is who the gospel goes for to you. Are you sick this morning? Do you have something you can't overcome? Are you just totally, the sin in your life is just, it's manifesting, the poison is percolating, you're finally seeing it? You need a doctor, and no doctor can cure this. The only one who can cure what's truly going on is the Son of God. It's interesting, but just so you don't get that verse mixed up, Jesus isn't overlooking everything when he says that he didn't come in to condemn the world. The problem was, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe him is condemned already. We're already under condemnation. That's the thing. He came to save us from being condemned. We're already condemned. Those who believe are not condemned. Those who do not believe are, stand condemned already. The word condemn means judge. The first time Jesus came, he came as a savior. The second time he's coming, he's coming as judge. You want to know him the first time. Amen? And this is the judgment. Verse 19, skipping over some stuff here. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, God's love he loves the world and he sends his son to save. But guess what people love? Guess what you love? Guess what I love? I love darkness. That's the problem. We need a new love. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. It's interesting Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. When did Nicodemus come to Jesus? Came at night. Why didn't you come during the day, Nicodemus? What's Jesus saying to Nicodemus? You're wicked. You're in the dark. You're coming to me in the darkness. because you love darkness rather than light. For everyone who does wickedness hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. This is why people don't come to God because he will expose who you are, what you have done in secret, who you are, who you truly are. Do you want that to happen? No, and so you stay in the darkness. Because you love your darkness more than you love the light. But those who respond, guess what happens? They come to the light. And Jesus exposes, but guess what he also does? Cleanses. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, depths of the sea to the ends of the universe your sin has been cast from you I love those promises the Holy Spirit convicts people by God's grace the effects of the poison of the snake bite was working its way through my soul everybody and I realized I was going down and there was no one to help I was lost this is why I say I don't know when I was saved it's like the wind I was just gone. 
I was doing all the things a worldly young man would do, and worse. And the conviction was there, and the darkness was overwhelming. And the Spirit of God came over my soul, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit pointed me to look up to the Savior, to Jesus Christ. Psalm 107, verses 10 through 16, the first message I preached here over 10 years ago. Well, it was 10 years ago this summer when I was um, interviewing. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they had rebelled against the words of God, against the commands of God, and despised the plans of the Most High. That was me. And so he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness, the utter darkness, and he broke away their chains. And what's the result? Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. That's what God does. He does what you cannot do. What did this person do? They cried out. That's the gospel, church. Ephesians 2 speaks of the same idea. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and he made you alive. By grace, you have been saved. Jesus says in verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light lest his works will be, be exposed. But verse 21, everybody, last line, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When a person is born again, you see the fruit of it. You feel the effects. They walk in the light just as he is in the light. Church, this is the gospel that we preach. I know I've talked a long time this morning, and it's purposefully, I couldn't break this up any shorter. Okay, and I know your seats are getting tired. I know this is way long, but listen. I need to add commercials, but <laughs> this is the thing. It's so important because you must be born again. And I know the Holy Spirit's at work. And right now, there are things that He's just going to do work in your heart. It's what he does. Respond to him. Cry out to him. Follow him. Cry out, have mercy upon me, son of David. And he will. He will give the blind sight. He will make the lame leap. He will pull the demon from your soul. And he will give you his torrent of living water that you would be refreshed in him. That's why Jesus came. And when he left, he sent his spirit who is working now. Lord God, thank you so much for this passage, just the heart and the crux of why you came. You say that if you're lifted up, you would draw all men to yourself. And I ask that you would draw all men yourself this morning. Mankind needs you. We need you. May your name not be profaned among us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God.
Fill us with your spirit. Fill us anew, God. Cleanse us. And Lord, help us to abandon ourselves and seek after your kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.